Trapcast Express. Trapcast Express, it's Thursday, May 25th, 2023. Today, Jorge Bergoglio, stage name Pope Francis, released his completely non-ideological message for the World Day of Prayer for the Care of Creation, which is observed annually on September 1st. In it, he speaks of heartbeats, you know, the maternal heartbeat of the earth, for example, or the hearts of babies in the womb. He says, quote, Let us dwell on those heartbeats, our own and those of our mothers and grandmothers, the heartbeat of creation and the heartbeat of God, unquote. Of course, what he doesn't mention at all is the one heart that redeemed us, the sacred heart of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, you could spin his words and say that that's what he meant by the heartbeat of God, but then he could have just said that. The truth is that if only our hearts beat in tune with the sacred heart of our Lord and the immaculate heart of his blessed mother, then all will be well, precisely because if we seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto us, as our Lord tells us in Matthew six thirty-three, Which, by the way, is a quote Francis himself uses in his message, he just doesn't take it to uh, heart. But hey, Bergoglio is a master at misusing sacred scripture. Not just by ignoring or twisting it, but also by hijacking it for his unholy ends. Here's a good example from March 9th of this year, when Francis was busy greeting the joint working group for dialogue between the Dicastery for Interreligious Dialogue and the Palestinian Commission for Interreligious Dialogue. That's a mouthful. So much dialogue. Anyway, the people he addressed included not just Christians, but also Muslims and possibly also Jews. I'm not sure. The theme of the meeting for which they had come together in Rome was the spiritual significance of Jerusalem as a holy city for Jews, Christians, and Muslims alike. So, clearly, the false pope needed to come up with something to say about Jerusalem that will work, so to speak, for all three of these religions. Think lowest common denominator. And so he took his cue from the gospel passage in which our blessed Lord weeps over Jerusalem, which passage he then strips of its true meaning and instead reduces to practical meaninglessness, all in the name of interreligious dialogue, of course. The passage in question is Luke chapter 19, verses 41 and 42, quote, And when he drew near, seeing the city, he wept over it, saying, If thou also hadst known, and that in this thy day the things that are to thy peace, but now they are hidden from thy eyes. Now here is what Francis said about this passage. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We should not pass over these words in haste. These tears of Jesus should be contemplated in silence. Brothers and sisters, 
how many men and women, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, have wept and in our day continue to weep for Jerusalem. At times we too are moved to tears when we think of the holy city, for she is like a mother whose heart cannot be at peace due to the sufferings of her children. This gospel passage reminds us of the value of compassion. God's compassion for Jerusalem must become our own, more powerful than any ideology or political alignment. Even greater must be our love for the holy city as for a mother who deserves respect and reverence on the part of all. Unquote. Now remember, he said these things not just to Christians, but to unbelievers, Muslims especially, maybe Jews also. In his words, Francis is basically reducing our blessed Lord to simply a model of the compassionate man weeping over the temporal sufferings of a city and its inhabitants, just as anyone else might today who sees the conflicts taking place there. Jerusalem is not the true mother of Talmudic Jews or of Muslims. They are not her children. They may consider themselves their children. They may consider her their mother, but they are wrong, objectively speaking. Obviously, Jerusalem cannot be the spiritual mother of three contradictory religions. It is only the spiritual mother of Catholics, whether these be of Jewish or of Gentile ancestry. It is the Catholics who are the true children of Jerusalem, which city, by the way, is only the earthly type of the heavenly Jerusalem to which we must aspire and which already exists in a kind of anticipatory fashion in the Holy Roman Catholic Church, which is the mystical body of Christ and the kingdom of God on earth. So anyway, what is the true meaning of Luke 19, 41 and 42? What is the significance of our Lord shedding his sacred tears for the city of Jerusalem? To find out, let's go straight to Father Cornelius Alapide, who in the late 16th and early 17th centuries drew up a scripture commentary based on the church's best, most authoritative fathers, doctors, saints, and theologians. Regarding verse 41, Father Lapide explains why our Lord wept over Jerusalem as follows. Quote, to show the bowels of his love for it, and how dear to his heart was the salvation of the Jews, for to this had he been sent by the Father to the Jews as their Messiah and Savior. He wept, therefore, among all the joys of his triumph, and amidst the happy declamations of those who congratulated him and shouted, Hosanna, that he might temper their joy by an admixture of gall, so to speak." He wept first over the blindness, obduracy, and ingratitude of the inhabitants of Jerusalem because they would not receive him as their Messiah and Savior, and also over the vengeance of God towards them and the destruction of their nation by Titus, and finally because he saw his own labors and sorrows for their sake frustrated and rendered of no effect. These three causes wrung tears from Christ from the vehemence of his grief. Unquote. 
In other words, our Lord was weeping over Jerusalem because the city's inhabitants had rejected or were about to reject him as the true Messiah, the only redeemer of the world, the only way to salvation. Just as, by the way, today's Jews and Muslims still do. Christ also wept because he knew that because of Jerusalem's rejection of him, the inhabitants of the city would be punished severely, both in this world and in the next. So no, our Lord was not simply teaching us compassion for the sufferings of others. He was teaching us that only in him is salvation found, and he who rejects him will see eternal ruin. But of course, that's not a terribly ecumenical or interreligious message. That's because the gospel, the true gospel, is not at all inclusive, but very much exclusive. Then verse 42, If thou also hadst known, and that in this thy day, the things that are to thy peace, but now they are hidden from thy eyes. Regarding this verse, Father Lapide writes this, quote, The sense is, if thou hadst known the things that are to thy peace, that is, for thy good, salvation, and happiness, namely, repentance and faith in me, which I have preached to thee for three years, thou wouldst also weep, as I do, for thy sins and for thy past blindness and obstinacy." And then Father Lapide explains the great pathos contained in the words, thou also, meaning even you, by quoting Euthymius, who puts the following words in Christ's mouth by way of explanation. Quote, Even thou, O daughter of Zion, by me so beloved, honored, enriched, and instructed, how canst thou not recognize me, indeed reject me as a false messiah, persecute, condemn, put to death, and crucify me? For thee have I descended from heaven to earth, for thee was I born at Bethlehem, not far from Jerusalem. For thee have I lived thirty-four years in continual labor, suffering poverty. For three whole years I have gone about thy towns and villages, preaching and teaching. I have healed thy lepers, thy sick, thy possessed. I have restored thy dead to life. Thou, therefore, daughter of Jerusalem, my beloved daughter, why dost thou not return the love of one who so loves thee, but instead scornest and destroyest him as an enemy? It will come, it will come shortly, that great day of the Lord, in which thou wilt too late confess thy unbelief and lament thy blindness, but to no purpose." This is thy day, in which thou vainly exultest in thy wealth, thy luxury, thy pomps. But my day shall soon come, yea, the day of the Lord, in which he will most severely punish thee, and utterly root thee out, and in which thou shalt pour forth the inconsolable and never-ceasing tears of most bitter anguish." So, it is clear that our Lord's lamentation is thoroughly filled with spiritual and supernatural meaning. And yet Bergoglio acts as if our Lord's tears for Jerusalem had nothing to do with rejection of him as the Messiah, or with the gospel, or with the divine plan of salvation. 
Francis instead hijacks the sacred scene, strips it of its essential meaning, and naturalizes it, so it will not touch unbelievers except to confirm them in their unbelief. Remember what he said, quote, How many men and women, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, have wept and in our day continue to weep for Jerusalem? Unquote. That is what Bergoglio has done to that sacred passage. Now, that's not to say that the true meaning of this biblical scene can't also be applied to our own times. I think it very much can. For those tears of our Lord, that lamentation, that grief mixed with frustration, were no doubt also for Jorge Bergoglio and the other papal impostors. You, you who were once baptized into the true faith and reared in my holy Catholic Church, we can imagine our Lord saying, you who now claim to be my vicar, the visible shepherd of my flock, if only you had remained faithful to me, who have given thee all good things. Just as Jerusalem betrayed our Lord, so now the Vatican II Church is betraying him once again. Not for thirty pieces of silver, mind you. No, it looks like they're doing it for free. Tratcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch, Check us out at tratcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate.